Hey, Planet Money listeners, when you're done with this episode, check out NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour for intelligent talk about books, movies, and television. You can find it on iTunes under podcasts. There's this thing that we do all the time that I never really thought about until we started to do this show today. But now that I've been thinking about it, it is really kind of weird. Take this coffee shop in Brooklyn. A guy walks in, orders an iced coffee, hands over his credit card, and the person behind the counter says this. And I just need your signature. I just need your signature. He pushes an iPad toward the customer so that the guy can sign. Sign. Use his hand to write his name out. I just want to point out we are using one of the newest pieces of technology we have here to capture this guy's name written by hand. So he can prove it's really him. Or not. I'm too lazy to actually write my name out. I drew a couple geometric lines. <laughs> the guy behind the counter is Ray Luna, and he says he doesn't even know why he has to ask for signatures. People write all kinds of stuff in the little box. One woman who comes in every morning just draws a horizontal line, and then she rushes off to the subway. The transaction always goes through no matter what people write. So Ray started daring his customers. Draw me something in the little signature box. His favorite was this little surfer guy. He recreated it for us. It looked like he drew drew that, which is a wave, and then like a stick figure surfing. The surfer dude has crazy hair. He drew it with crazy hair as well. I thought that it was very detailed in terms of drawing in a signature box. Nobody has topped that yet. I do stuff like this. Sometimes I shade in the whole box. Sometimes I draw a long, crazy scribble. This morning I drew a tree. I imagine the idea of a signature is to protect against fraud. But if someone stole my card, they wouldn't have any trouble figuring out what my signature looks like because it's on the back of the card. Unless you're me, I've never signed the back of my card. Not that it would matter if I did because my signature is just a big Z. It's a funny thing. We require signatures for all kinds of financial transactions. For coffee. And personal checks. When you buy a house, lots and lots of signatures. I have no idea what I signed. I signed my taxes. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. Today on the show, the signature. This little squiggle that's supposed to say, yes, this is me. Where did it come from and why are we still using it? We forgot to say who we are. I'm David Kestenbaum. Oh, and I'm Zoe Chase. It turns out that when you write out your signature to buy a cup of coffee, you are repeating a very, very, very old ritual. I hadn't really appreciated how old. Rabbi, can you hear us? Hello. Yes, yes. Uh, hi, good hi. morning. This is Rabbi Penchas Alush. He's a Talmud scholar. The Talmud is a collection of very old rabbinical writings on Jewish law and all kinds of things. Every subject in the world, from zoology to biology to anatomy to you name it. And does it cover signatures? It covers signatures. That's correct. Signatures, the Talmud says, are required to legitimize a contract. In particular, what could be the most sacred contract, a legal and financial union between two people? Marriage. The oldest marriage contract that was found recently was dated back to the year 176 BCE. And that marriage contract was written on clay. And there, they actually have signatures. In clay? In clay. That's pretty far back. That's pretty far back. 
Turns out signatures go back even further. But what I like about the Talmud is that it is very clear about what counts as a signature. Back then they had standards. Could not be any old squiggle. Here it is. All right. Machak pasul va'af al pishem kavim. Ve'lo amru machak pasul ela bimkom shrig v'kayam. Which means that a scribble is prohibited. <laughs> What's the, the word for scribble? Machak. Machak. And then a pasul means prohibited. And so machak pasul, these are the two words. Marriage contracts had to be signed by the participants and by witnesses. It turns out there was a reason you couldn't scribble. The name had to be completely legible so that anyone could track down the witnesses in case of a dispute. Often the married people, the witnesses, they all lived in the same small town. So you could just go grab the witnesses and ask them, you were there. Did these two people really agree to this? Did people really try and deny they were married after the case? Some did. Some did. The rabbi says this is still useful today. In fact, just a week or so ago. This couple came to us and said, we need a, uh, need, we need a divorce. And I, as uh, one of the rabbis, said, well, do you, did you get married officially? And uh, the husband started saying, no, we did not. And the wife said, yes, we did. And I said to the wife, do you have a proof? And the wife says, yes, I have a marriage contract. I said to her, can you bring it to us? She brought it to us the next day. On the marriage contract, there were two witnesses. So the first thing we did is we called the witnesses to verify indeed that they were officially married with this marriage contract that the wife was presenting to us. And what did they say? The witnesses. The witnesses confirmed that the marriage indeed occurred. Was this a large wedding? No, it wasn't a large wedding. <laughs> they got married uh, in the backyard uh, with a few friends. How did you find the, uh, how did you manage to contact the witnesses? Oh, I mean, uh, we had their names. And uh, thank God for Google. <laughs> yeah. Google is not in the Talmud. I like this idea of witness signatures. It would be like today you're buying a cup of coffee and you got to sign the credit card thing. But also the guy in line behind you would have to sign as a witness. Yes, she got the double latte. Rabbi Elush says signatures were required not just for marriages, but for all kinds of economic transactions. Want to buy a donkey? You need a kind of receipt signed. And just like with credit cards, even smaller transactions, they required signatures. There's a rule in the Talmud, which is an interesting rule. The law that applies to one cent is the same law that applies to a thousand gold coins. In other words, we consider every purchase as a big one. Do you ever think about the Talmud when you're signing your name, buying a cup of coffee? Yes. When you're buying a cup of coffee? You think of the signature thing? I think, I mean, I I think of the Talmud uh, throughout the day. Yeah. So uh, sometimes it occurs to me, uh, just yesterday on a Toys R Us receipt, I thought of the Talmud. Yeah. Okay. So I get why signatures made sense thousands of years ago. A signature is basically the simplest form of ID. It's something that proves you are you, something that only you can create. If you think about it, there weren't too many other options. I mean, everyone could carry around elaborate stamps, but a stamp could be stolen. The signature was something you carried around in your head, and you just needed a pen. For a while, it really was the only option. When global trade took off, the signature proved really useful. If some merchant had money in an Italian bank, he wanted to transfer it to a bank on the other side of Europe, he didn't want to have to haul a bunch of gold over there. They would just send a signed document. Signatures basically worked. And like a lot of things that basically work, they get entrenched in laws and contracts. So that thousands of years after mud tablets, when the personal check comes around and the credit card comes around... 
we require people to sign at the bottom. In the 1950s, you want to write a personal check at the supermarket, you write your name on the line. But this is around when the signature as proof, as a yes, this is me thing, started making less sense. Can you start by actually writing your signature? Just for fun. Left-handed. I am indeed. So am I. And uh, what does this say? Ronald Mann. And who are you? Ronald Mann. <laughs> Title? Oh, I'm a professor of law at Columbia. This this doesn't say Ronald Mann. It says Red M. Your last name, it actually looks like a, uh, a series of mountain ranges. The problem with using a signature as proof of identity was that someone had to actually check it. In the early days of credit cards and personal checks, banks did try to do this. One of the very first credit cards was the Diners Club card. You go to a fancy steakhouse, present your card after the meal. I imagine people signing their name very proudly. It was an exclusive club. Not that many people had those cards, so it wasn't too time-consuming to confirm the signature matched the name. But as more people used cards and more people started having checking accounts, that just became impossible. Ronald Mann says that until relatively recently, banks were still trying to do this, still trying to see if the signature on checks matched the one they had on file. They had huge rooms with rows of desks and people devoted to this kind of hopeless task. The checks get routed to the person. They pull out the signature card of the account. They look at the check. They look at the signature. The signature card is what? The signature card, when you originally got a bank account, you signed a card at the bank with a pen, had the account agreement would have been on it in about maybe two or three point type, all the, that governed the bank account. So every rule for the bank account would be written in type very, very small. You couldn't possibly read it. (laughs) And then you would have signed it. And so then they would just pull the signature card up and look at the signature, look at the one on the check. And people did it very quickly, obviously, because they would look at more than 100 signatures an hour. And they'll flag some as being forged. But it's just their, their naked eye. Yes. It's an amazing thing to see. It's impractical to do this with every personal check that came into the bank. They would just do a random subset, maybe 1%. And there was this other problem, a bigger problem, really. It could be hard to spot a forgery. Here, I'm going to try and copy yours. Hmm. Yeah. Red M. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. What do you think, Ronald Mann? So I I think it'd require a little more work to persuade... Uh someone like my wife that it was mine, but maybe not more than five minutes of work. (laughs) (laughs) The very thing a signature was supposed to do, to show that a person had agreed to something, this was starting to look silly. When a signature appeared to be fraudulent and a dispute actually made it into a court of law, he says, things could get kind of absurd. So I've been involved in cases where there'd be a check that someone would allege is forged, and you'll use pen impression data looking very, very closely at the paper. Like the, the, the indentation on the paper from the pen? Yes, it sounds like something you'd see on CSI or something to tell more or less the, the places in the signature at which the pen wrote more and less rapidly and the places where it pressed harder and less hard because the paper would be slightly more bent. But that's obviously not a useful way to run regular commercial transactions. Signature verification rooms do not exist anymore, he says. No one regularly looks at what you sign on the bottom of a check. And for credit cards, why are we still signing there? Is somebody checking? We called up MasterCard and talked to Carolyn Belfany. If I go buy a cup of coffee and I give them my credit card and then they have me sign and I go like this, does that go somewhere? 
It is it is electronically stored, and it can be retrieved. How often do those signatures actually get accessed because someone wants to look at one of them? It is it is a fraction of a, <laughs> of a percent of time, right? It's not a regular occurrence. So why all this effort to collect millions of signatures and save them on computers in some warehouse somewhere? She told us one reason is just in case someone calls up and complains and says, I didn't go to the supermarket that day. Then they can pull up the signature, show it to you, and you can look at it and say, oh, uh, that is my signature. Oh, yeah, I, I did go shopping that day. So just to be clear, when you sign for that cup of coffee, there is no person, no computer checking to see that it looks like anything in particular. Should I feel bad if I just write a little squiggle there instead of signing my name? <laughs> or a smiley um, face? Yeah, I mean, clearly it's not ideal, um, but I, I've heard of people doing it for sure. What are the consequences if I do do that? Um, well, I, you know, I don't think there's any direct consequence. Um, clearly, I suppose it would be odd in the dispute process if you did have it pulled back and you were in a dialogue <laughs> with the bank about the transaction. But I don't know that there's any direct consequence to it. I'm not breaking any rules by doing that. No. There are lots of better ways to spot fraud than eyeballing a signature in a signature room. We have a lot of data now, of course, spending patterns. If you usually buy stuff where you live in Cleveland and a charge pops up buying electronics in Vietnam, something's probably up with your cart. In fact, Carolyn says they are so good at spotting fraud that for a lot of small purchases, as you've probably noticed, signatures are not required anymore. There's really only one reason we could find that it's still done. Ronald Mann, the law professor, told us the main legal reason for the signature on credit card purchases is just as a way to determine who eats the cost of a fraudulent transaction. Is it the store or the bank who issued the card? Typically, if a store did not require the person buying the thing to sign, then they're on the hook. That's the way the contracts are written. It's kind of, well, you should have gotten the customer to sign, as if the signature would have really prevented the fraud. He calls signatures an eccentric relic. Carolyn at MasterCard told us there are new non-signature cards on the horizon. They are coming, called chip and pin cards. I've seen these in Europe. They have a computer chip in them. The waiter brings over this little machine. You stick your card in. Then instead of a signature, you do something that seems like it makes a lot more sense. Just like with your debit card, it's a pin, a number you punch in. Which is arguably a better version of a signature. It's also something that only you know. But unlike a signature, it can actually be checked in real time. These cards will make transactions more secure and also sadly devoid of surfer drawings and squiggles. Our show today was produced by Fia Benin. Special thanks to Jess Jang, who did a lot of the research for the story and went out to that coffee shop at the beginning. And thanks to Jason DeLeon, our amazing intern. And thanks also for listening to Planet Money. If you're looking for more podcasts to listen to, NPR recommends Pop Culture Happy Hour. You talk about books, movies, and TV. You find it on iTunes, of course, under podcasts. You can send us email, planetmoney at npr.org. I'm David Kestenbaum. I'm Zoe Chase. Thanks for listening. I think you could, you should do a lot more sealing with kisses. That's my new idea that I thought of. Just put lipstick on everybody, then they kiss it. It's going to be different. You'll definitely be able to tell. 
they're looking for a reliable, cheap <laughs> biometric identification system. And if you got the first one, you'd be really wealthy. Everybody would look so good. Uh, too. Here's your here's your coffee, Miss Chase. Could you just uh, kiss the signature? <laughs> But my search would always be in vain.